Welcome to Baddies Mean Business with your co-hosts, Mackenzie Hatfield and Riley Jennings. Together, we inspire future generations of change makers. So listen as we share with you the stories of baddies breaking the status quo and doing extraordinary work in the world. Happy Wednesday, everybody, and welcome back to Baddies Mean Business. Today, as you have seen in the title, is a very special episode, a bonus episode. And you know why? Because we have finally brought on my boss and also the executive director for the Lavin Entrepreneurship Center, Alex DeNoble. Welcome, Alex. Why, thank you, Riley. I'm very, very excited to be here with you. And to talk about my favorite topic, entrepreneurship. Absolutely. I've been looking forward to this day, and as has Kenzie. Well, let's do it. Uh, I'm, I'm fired up and ready to go. For those of you who know Alex, hopefully you get to know him a little bit more today, especially, of course, I know the students want to know more about Alex. Uh-huh. But of course, for those who are colleagues of Alex's as well, there's a lot of exciting topics that we'll be bringing up today. But first things first, let's get into just a little bit more about you, Alex, if you want to jump off, Kenzie. Yeah. So Alex, tell us a little bit about yourself. So where'd you graduate from? What'd you study? All that. How you got into your career? Okay. Well, I, um, I, grew, I was born in New York City and grew up and raised in Jersey City, New Jersey. Went to high school and then college. I went what was then called Monmouth College, which is now Monmouth University in West Long Branch, New Jersey. Go Hawks and I uh, was very excited to be part of that whole ecosystem in New Jersey. I graduated as an accountant and went to work right after my graduation and started working with a firm called Haskins and Sells, which is now Deloitte. I was an auditor and just did that work for a number of years. And then I had an opportunity to visit some friends in Blacksburg, Virginia. So I had a chance to take a look at the campus of Virginia Tech. And I was very fascinated by it and decided to apply to their graduate program and enjoyed my time there so much that I stayed on for a doctorate. And you can see in my background, my doctoral diploma from Virginia Tech, go Hokies. And then took my first job in 1983 here at San Diego State University. That's pretty incredible. I that I didn't realize that for one that San Diego State University was your first job. You know, it's 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 really unusual in our field. Most of my colleagues will stay at a place for a few years and go to a different school and you know and build their career that way. I was so happy to land my job here at San Diego State. And I never let go. I mean, it's uh, San Diego is an incredible community, not only for the weather, but uh, this is truly a startup community and it has a vibrancy all its own. So this is where I've dug in and built my career. Amazing. Wow. Something I kind of wanted to see and I wanted to, you know, paint the picture. And we Mm -hmm. talked about this actually earlier today is... (laughs) I want to kind of see and like look back and see what was young Alex DeNoble like <laughs> and what drove him to pursue the things that he wanted to, which ended him up here in San Diego. What kind of person were you at your college age, ooh, Alex? Like ooh. our age, 22 years old. What were you, you doing? Were <laughs> from, uh, and be honest. Mm-hmm. Want me to be honest? Yes. yes so why don't you be <laughs> honest? Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, I, I was somewhat radical. I mean, um, I followed the traditional path coming out of college and getting the job right away. And but just realizing that I had made my decisions on a profession when I was still a freshman or sophomore in college. And I got into that profession and I just wanted more. And so I told my parents that I was going to leave my job that everybody was so excited for me getting and at the time, a big eight accounting firm. And I was going off into the mountains of Virginia and I was going to pursue something very different. And that was a pretty exciting time. It's a very different life there than growing up in Jersey City and 
right across the river from Manhattan. Grew up as a city kid that way. And Blacksburg, Virginia was just so alluring because of the mountains. It was more rural. It was was a very different place, but just a lot of excitement there. And I wanted to be part of it. Absolutely. That's something I've always found interesting because like I know you now and a lot of people have known you throughout the years. Hundreds of students, hundreds of Lavin alumni have gone through these classrooms. And so I think it's like very rare. Do we get the opportunity to understand what you were like when you were our age, the age of who you're teaching? You know, I mean, I was so enamored by moving to the mountains of Virginia which for me was like go, it was going into a different cultural environment. I, while I was working on my doctoral program, I moved into a house with, a, with three buddies. It was on 240 acres of land, and four of us were all come from the New York, New Jersey area. And on this piece of property... The landlord renovated it, but nobody lived in this house for over a hundred years. And the only heat in the house was four wood burning stoves. And my buddies were musicians, and I was working on a PhD and living in this house. I was on 240 acres of land and a creek running through the property. And landlord said, uh, you boys will do fine out here. All the wood you need is right on the property. Just cut it down and chop it and you'll keep your, you'll be warm for the winter. (laughs) (laughs) That was an adventure, but we always had, we learned how to cut wood. We learned how to use a wood burning stove and we always had musicians coming in and out of the house. So there was always, there was always music going on and I'm trying to do a doctorate and somehow it all just came together. <laughs> that was probably the most unorthodox story I've ever heard of somebody's um, pursuing <laughs> their PhD. Definitely. <laughs> it's like, that was a lot of creatives was- in one space. <laughs> Doing a lot of different things. So after your PhD, as I know you now, you're involved in a lot of different things, part of it being that you are on the board of directors for the International Council for Small Business, and also you're involved in USASB. You can explain what that is a little bit more, but you've also taught in at least, what, three to five different countries plus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit more about that. You know, I mean, when I did my doctoral work at Virginia Tech, It was basically in the area of strategic management. And essentially, our discussions, our case discussions and everything would be focused around, well, what would IBM do in this situation? Or how would General Electric handle this strategic? Basically, big companies. When I got the job at San Diego State, man, I was so excited. I had never been to California before, you know, other than the job interview. I was so excited to move out here. But when I got out here, I looked around. I didn't see any Fortune 500 companies. At the time when I was here, Qualcomm was just kind of making some noise in the community. But other than that, it was it was small to medium-sized enterprises doing a lot in tech and biotech and tourism management. And so these were the anchor industries in the area, and it was all small and medium-sized startup companies. And so I said, if I'm going to make it in this community, I better immerse myself in, in entrepreneurship. And it was around that time, we had a professor on our campus that ran entrepreneurship. His name was Darl Mitten. He was like one of the only professors in the country around that time that was treating entrepreneurship as a legitimate academic discipline. And he ran the Entrepreneurial Management Center was Darrell's 10 by 10 office. And I come on the campus and I'm talking to him in the mailroom about a year, year into my new career. And he says, I'm retiring here. You take this. And we had, it was just one course in entrepreneurship. And my colleague, Dr. Sanford Ehrlich, and I, uh, he had recently joined after me. 
and we both had an interest in entrepreneurship. So we took that one class and divided it into two classes. I would teach the first half on, or he would teach the first half on really a course on opportunity recognition and analysis. And I would teach a business plan class. So we had, we went from one to two courses in entrepreneurship. But Darrell had a following of people in the community that believed in him and believed in what we could be. And that was, that following was spearheaded by people like Ron Fowler and Bob Payne and several, several other prominent people in the San Diego community that believed in a bigger vision for entrepreneurship. And so that's when fundraising really started happening and it was happening all around us. And this group put in about $2 million to create an entrepreneurial management center. And so we were, we were trying to ramp up coursework at the time and trying to set up this center. And that was the vision way back then. And there was a new building that went up on our campus. It was called the Gateway Building. And it was the first privately funded building on our campus. And we took $500,000 out of that $2.2 million initial endowment. And we bought space into the new privately funded building. And that's where we ran our operations for the next 25 years, at least, you know, and, um, Dr. Ehrlich, Sanford Ehrlich, uh, ran the center for a time. And so that's how we did, broke it up. He ran the center and I took care of the academic programming. And, you know, but then it really started to evolve from there. And then when he retired from the center, I took over in 2012 as the executive director. And then we met Mr. Lavin. And things really got interesting after that. But this so far for me has been a 39-year journey here at San Diego State. That's unbelievable. To Uh think that even entrepreneurship, where it is now versus where it was when you were starting out, the fact that it's, that's like a norm for a lot of people, like I'm going to major or I'm going to go into entrepreneurship. The fact that that wasn't Mm -hmm. even like a considerable space to go into at the time is just crazy to me. I didn't even realize that it still is such a new area of business. Yeah, you're right. I mean, in academics, in business academics, you know, the traditional disciplines, marketing, management, accounting, finance, information, I mean, data, I mean, these were the traditional disciplines and entrepreneurship, which cut across everything People couldn't get their arms around it, and they didn't believe it was a discipline. And it took a whole crew of people across the country that fundamentally believed in it. And it just so happens my dissertation advisor, Dr. Max Wartman, who is a leader in our field, he was part of a founding group of faculty that set up USASB, the United States Association for small business and entrepreneurship. And all of a sudden we had credibility with a professional organization. And around the same time, um, that's when ICSB formed. Uh, I think ICSB formed before that as the International Council for Small Business. So we had these two professional organizations that were starting to build the credibility within the field. And That's where it all began from, you know, in terms of the entrepreneurship programs that you see across the country and around the world right now. It is it is one of the most exploding disciplines in our field. This is the this is the genesis of um, entrepreneurial academia. It seems like we're listening to in this moment. You got to see it Mm -hmm. in your lifetime, which is extraordinary. We're the ones reaping the benefits. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) We're the ones that get to reap the benefits of everyone's hard work. You know, I mean, I I just do it. I just have been coming in, you know, every day. And so, you know, for me, it's just been incremental. But, you know, just reflecting back on those early days, you know, it was really a struggle for this, for this to be accepted. And when I look at where we are and the commitment that San Diego State, my home university, has made 
to entrepreneurship. It's going to be the heart of the expansion of our entire campus into an innovation district in the, in the heart of San Diego. So it's come a long way. It really has. And it's not me. I mean, there's been, I mean, there's just been a collection of people that, I mean, from the community, from administration, from the faculty that, you know, it just all would come together, you know, in that way. And so there's something I'm very interested in knowing is we will, our next topic is going to be focused on your book that you are writing Ah. called (laughs) The Entrepreneur Within. But before we dive into that, I really want to know what has shocked you about or what has shocked you about what students are capable of within these programs or what you have found throughout these years, these last 40 years? You know, as we recruit students into our specialty program, the Lavin Entrepreneur Program, the thing that really amazes me most is, is that the students that we're seeing today were born with technology. They grow up with technology. It's part of this generation's DNA, where when I was writing my dissertation, I mean, I would kind of write it out and I'd have to bring it to a typist, Mrs. Birch in uh, Christiansburg, Virginia. What a wonderful lady she was. But she was my typist and that's how I had to produce my dissertation, you know, and, and as technologies have emerged, it allows a global reach. It's a diffusion of technology that enables people in a dorm room or in a garage to have a global business. And so what shocks and amazes me more than anything is as I interview these students, a lot of them already have their own business, you know, and they're doing amazing things. And so just to be a guide for people that come into our program, having skill sets that I'd never dreamed of when I was your age, um, in my 20s at the time, it was a very different. But that's been the biggest, very pleasant shock is the experience and the capabilities of students to utilize technology for doing some amazing things. How cool. Okay, before we hop into the book, I do want to ask you, what has been one of the like coolest works that a student has done that you've seen in the time frame that you've been in the lab or just in entrepreneurship in general? I had a student. Back in the day, I mean, his name was Larry Imperiali. I remember that name. And Larry, if you're listening, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Larry was ahead of his time. And we're talking in the nineteen, the mid-1980s. I joined the faculty here at San Diego State in 1983. So around about 1985, I asked the dean if he would put up $500 for a, I wanted to run a business plan competition. And why the dean agreed to do that, Alan, his name is Alan Bailey. He he said, all right, I'll put up $500. And we had my class and I picked five teams from my class. And I invited people from the community to come into the class and listen to my students make a pitch. Larry's pitch was he wanted to take a a PC computer, and he wanted to convert it into a perpetual inventory system for small stores. So in other words, it was a computer system that was acting like a cash register, but every time you would make a purchase in a store, it would register the inventory so it could keep track of the inventory. So it was really one of the first point of sale system ideas. And we gave him the $500 prize. And this is probably in 1985. How much is that worth now? Who I knows? I think around 1987, they wound up on numbered as number 19 on the Inc. 500 fastest growing companies in America. It was a company, I don't know what's happened to the company since then, but it was a company called SailPoint Systems. Maybe do a Google search, look them up. I haven't thought about them in a while, but 
that was really a catalyst for things that it showed me what students were capable of doing. And then there's story after story after story that follows that. And we can go down a rabbit hole if you want to get me thinking about other amazing people like Kevin Gelfand, who in our Lavin program, he and one of his business partners started a company called ShakeSmart. And they're now on over 21 campuses across the country. But it was during our program that they were experimenting with this kiosk kind of an idea for protein shakes. Or, um, you know, I could talk about uh, Robert Schulte, who created a company called The Audit. He was a sales tax auditor. And he developed a program that enabled him to do his job very effectively. And he was one of the most productive sales tax auditors for the state of California. And then he took an entrepreneurship class and said, if I'm going to do this, why don't I do this for clients? And that started from V Audit. It turned into a company called Taxient. They merged with a company called Avalara. It's a publicly traded company today. So, you know, the stories, the stories are just amazing. And then there's Brad Chisholm. Brad was an engineer and he was taking a tech commercialization class that we were doing. And he was he was an engineer working for Spaywar, which is like a Navy think tank. And he encountered uh, one of the scientists at Spaywar that had a unique sensing technology that using a totally different approach had very, I mean, radicalized what you can do with sensing devices. Um, they, they started a company called Lumidine and he ended up selling that company to Google for an excess of $85 million <laughs> down the line. So, wow. you know, you never know who you're going to run into. And every time I see a new crop of students, I mean, our thing is we're in the business of preparing the next generation of entrepreneurs. And so I have no idea what who's walking into this class and what they're capable of doing. Right. Have you been over the years? Have you ever been able to sense kind of like who may be potentially the next, you know, Brad Chisholm or Robert mm. Schulte or is it kind of just like there's um, always, you know, what? Shock. it's who's leaning in. You know, a lot of our students will come into the program. And I learned this and uh, I was taking a seminar one time when I was preparing for the CPA exam. And it was for those of you with an accounting background, you know the Becker preparation program for CPAs. And there was he made a statement one day that to this day stuck in my mind. He said, when you're preparing, there's two ways to approach preparation. And he was talking about preparing for the CPA exam, but I'm talking about preparation. One way to do it is how little do I have to do to just get by versus how much can I do to make darn sure that I'm going to pass this thing? And it's two different philosophies of how you approach your education. And what I found early on is that a lot of students have one foot out the door while they're just joining a program, right? But it's the students that recognize the resources at their disposal at a place like this and recognize and truly take advantage of what a school, and not just San Diego State, but schools that commit to entrepreneurship, what they have to offer and so the ones that I can recognize are the ones that say, how can I take advantage of these resources to build my skill sets and competencies? So you would say that that is the common outlier that you have found? Yeah, um, uh, it's, it's the ones that are leaning in and uh, really trying to get the most out of their time, which is more than just going from class to class to class. Um, I feel like that's a really good thing to note for the listeners that are in either a little bit younger than Riley and I, who are, you know, freshmen in college or wherever place they are in their 
educational career to just remind them that it's okay to just like leap in and like take every resource that you possibly can in this time because it's basically just given to you. You know what? It's just like taking the, taking the bait. (laughs) You know what? We have uh, an arrangement with the law and the USD law clinic so that while you're a student, uh, we can get you free pro bono legal counsel, okay? With a $600 an hour law firm, okay, as an example. Or we have prototyping facilities where you can test your ideas by developing different kinds of prototypes on our campus. You try to get a prototyping done when you're not a student and see how much it costs. Yeah, good luck. Um, things like that. So yeah. take advantage of the resources that any school you affiliate with that is committed to entrepreneurship has to offer. And I think that's like, it's so common for students not even to think that these are the type of resources that are available. And to me thinking like, I think for me, it was just dumb luck because I didn't know mm-hmm. that it was available there at San Diego State. But these are options that students can have. So mm-hmm. it's extraordinary. But moving forward... To the Tell reason. Me to talk about the book. Ah, the <laughs> the reason why book, the, the reason we were within. <laughs> yes. The reason we brought you here, Alex, I have grown very personally attached to this book as well. But yeah. <laughs> The Entrepreneur Within, tell us a little bit about what it's about and what in, inspired you. What what has inspired you to write this book? You know what? When you know a lot of schools and ours as no, I mean, as an example. When we're out promoting our programs and so forth, we are touting, in my case, the Larry Imperiales, the Robert Schultes, the Brad Chisholms, and some of the the accomplished women in our program, too. We have Navy McKee and Rayanne Mustafa and so forth. They're doing amazing things in entrepreneurship. And Schools like ours will tout those amazing stories of the entrepreneurs, right? But what we know and the reality is we're dealing with so many students that avail themselves of our program. Not everyone is going to be ready to go out and start their business right out of college, okay? So we are focused a lot more on helping our students to develop an entrepreneurial mindset. And it's the entrepreneurial mindset where if to look for opportunities and to think about how you can convert those opportunities into business models that to pursue. And with an entrepreneurial mindset, we know that our students that are going out to companies they could be difference makers right away within their organizations. So my book, The Entrepreneur Within, is focused on stories about people working within existing organizations who've had ideas and they've had to move them through their organization's hierarchy to try to get their companies to adopt new ideas and new ways of doing business. And so I call the book The Entrepreneur Within because it celebrates the entrepreneurs inside of existing companies. I know from after talking to many people that for a lot of different reasons, people are attached to their organizations. Uh, For people that are uh, married and have families, there's mortgages, there's kids' tuitions, there's health plans, and all of the benefits of working for a company. And many times people aren't in a position to throw that all away and strike out on your own. So this book is about stories of people who have the, who take the initiative to behave like entrepreneurs inside of the organization. And it comes with its own set of challenges and own set of rewards as well. And for some of the people that I've interviewed, they got their start by being an internal entrepreneur and then ultimately building those skill sets and competencies. Sometimes they go out and start their own, but many times they stay and drive value within their existing companies. 
So the entrepreneur within, it deals with the entrepreneur within an organization, but also that entrepreneurial spirit within your soul. And these are the stories. And from these stories, I talk about the challenges. And so I create a framework. I call it the FBI framework for corporate entrepreneurship. How do you frame a business idea, a new idea that you might have so that people inside of the company can understand it and make sense of it and to see how it makes sense for their company? So it's framing. And then how do you get the buy-in? You have to get the buy-in through building relationships. And some of the people that I've interviewed really gave me some amazing stories as to how they built their credibility and built the kind of relationships to get the buy-in from key people throughout the organization that would be important for the success of a new business venture. And then there's the implementation. How do you uh, build your team and how do you develop your launch strategy to introduce your new product or process idea inside your company? So frame it, get buy-in, implement the FBI framework for corporate entrepreneurship. And so, you know, from that, the book ends with tips for the next generation of corporate entrepreneurs and ideas on how you can effectively move your ideas through your organization. So that's that's the background story of the entrepreneur within. Wow. Well, <laughs> I cannot wait to read it and get my hands on that book. <laughs> well, as a matter of fact, I mean, so where we are in the book right now, I mean, I'm in the um, I'm working with a publisher. Mm-hmm. I've turned in a first draft of the book and we have an Indiegogo campaign for the entrepreneur within to try to raise the funds to pay for the publishing cost. I mean, I have to pay for professional editing. I have to pay for book copies and and all of the costs associated with bringing something like this to the market. So it's a non-traditional way on publishing, but I wanted to go the crowdfunding route because you know what I found? Crowdfunding is an amazing, it's, it's, this is a big new thing and relatively new in entrepreneurship because trying to get early traction and getting investors excited early on, that's a tough thing. And now, so there was this niche on the front end and early stage startups couldn't get the traction to convince investors. So it made it very difficult and crowdfunding fills that void where by using platforms like Kickstarter or Indiegogo or Kiva or other places like that, it gives you an opportunity to get early funding. And you know what I did? You know what I realized? I would conceptually talk to my students about crowdfunding. I'd say, yeah, it's an amazing thing. Go out and do it. Never having done it myself. And now I'm in the midst of my own crowdfunding campaign, and it is humbling. It requires time, energy, effort, and attention, and requires, there's a lot more to it than I ever realized. And there I was standing in front of a class talking about crowdfunding and telling my students, go out and do it, go out and do it. Now I can speak from some experience, and I'm really happy that I chose this route. So it's The Entrepreneur Within on Indiegogo. Look us up. We're still in fundraising mode until April 30th. I think, yes, absolutely. And I know the, these topics sometimes may come up in people's minds, but never really or strike them as something that needs to be talked about. But I do think that the there is a conversation to be had when it comes to, especially the comparison between entrepreneurs and intrapreneurs. There always seems yeah. to me to be like a compare. There is a comparison. And I believe that each one is completely different in their own mind. But the commonality is creativity yeah. and the willingness to solve small to big problems. So absolutely. You know what, Riley? There is there's so much debate around that because the purist in entrepreneurship saying, how could you be an entrepreneur inside of an, an existing company? Uh, entrepreneurs risk it all. And, mm-hmm. you know, what are you risking? Because, uh, yeah, you're drawing a paycheck. And what are you risking? 
And you talk to the people that I've talked to across many different industries, there's a whole different set of risks and a whole different set of contexts. So it's not just, you know, you can't be an entrepreneur because you're not willing to risk it all. Untrue. I mean, inside of a company, you face a lot of other kinds of risks and you hit it on the head, Riley. It's a different context applying the entrepreneurial process. You still have to recognize opportunities. You have to convince people. You've got to uh, marshal resources together, but in a different way. Exactly. Something that I really wanted to emphasize is that like entrepreneurship is never limited to certain individuals, the crazy ones that you may hear and then, you know, on the media, mm-hmm. I, anybody in their own way can be an entrepreneur. And I don't want there to be like a toxic mentality focused on like what exactly an entrepreneur is. An entrepreneur can be seen in many, many lights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Really? I mean, it's, it is true. Go ahead. Oh, no, go, go for it. If you have a question, Kenzie, you can. I was just going to say, absolutely. I feel like it's easy to get in the mindset of when you think of like an entrepreneur and you think, oh, they're doing the biggest thing, achieving the biggest, you know, problem or issue, or even if it's not an issue, it's just advocating for something or what have you. And then there's like the, I guess what people would say, not, not necessarily less, but just not as big or as it's more surface level rather than the big community picture. And I don't think it should be intimidating to anybody to try to pursue entrepreneurship because it is such a flex community and there's so many different areas that you can latch onto and pursue. And so, yeah, that's just my little side comment. <laughs> but Mackenzie, it's, I mean, you, well, I mean, it's, uh, that's really one of the themes of the book. One of the things that surprised me most about this book was this notion of the power of small wins. And several different entrepreneurs that I spoke to reverberated back to this notion of small wins. Adam Brotman, for example, I mean, he was responsible. He was part of the helping Starbucks go through their digital transformation, which is huge. And when I talked to him about it for the book, I mean, he, I, I said, well, how did you get the credibility to be able to do that? And he said, small wins. He said, and that's what led me to, you know, the FBI framework that I just talked about for corporate entrepreneurship, getting the buy-in. He said, I had to get small wins to get credibility to be able to gradually do bigger and bigger things inside of the company. And Alyssa Thompson, one of our alums from our program, she shared with me, I mean, a very similar thing about getting small wins, you know, while she was with a healthcare company, she introduced a training program. But I, and I said, well, how did you convince all of these doctors to buy me? And she said, and her her response to me was, well, Alex, first, kick ass on your day job. And, and, and that's part of it. I mean, I've taken that quote in the book because that's all part of building credibility so that when she wanted to propose something new, a new process, a training process, and how to get people's buy-in, she had to have credibility first. And so the power of small wins and taking these entrepreneurial initiatives uh, cannot be understated. That's crazy that you say that because one of our big primary topics of this season of our podcast has been like celebrating the small wins and the small victories and like focusing on the journey rather than the biggest destination because it does take the small steps in order to accomplish the big ones. And so I think that's so, I mean, it's tremendously relevant to both Riley and I, but I think it's relevant to a lot of people, no matter where you are in your career, in life, in whatever, just celebrating those small wins because those are the little things that get you to where you're destined to be. And so that's amazing. You know what, Mackenzie, along those lines, I mean, it made me think of another story that'll come out in the book and mm-hmm. is uh, one of my former students was working for, and I have to keep the company private, but uh, working for an aerospace company in uh, Mexico. Oh. And she proposed an idea. And, you know, in my class, 
on corporate entrepreneurship. She worked up the, I mean, she was ready with this thing. It was a very well put together proposal. It got turned down by the company. It turned down by the company, okay, her proposal. But it got turned down for technical reasons that made sense, okay? But the fact that she proposed this put her in the limelight within the company. And it was because she proposed this, the company is looking at her, well, we're going to turn this one down because from a technical perspective, it doesn't make sense, but you're going to have many other opportunities for doing this. So, you know, sometimes resistors within the organization are a positive thing. Sometimes not. It can get really political real fast. But sometimes when it makes sense, I call it career building opportunities, you know, to be a catalyst for change within your organization. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing, Alex. I think that after reading this book and, you know, after knowing each other for the last, like, say, year, Alex, I think that everyone who's going to read this book is going to really open their mind to the fact that, like, whatever situation they may be, it's really just about getting started and being open to the fact of trying, whether you're, you know, 20 years old or whether you are 50 years old. There's no such thing as being too late to. You know, Riley, that's the beautiful part. I mean, I've, you know... The most enjoyable part of this book writing was the number of people that I've spoken to across industries. And I'm talking from Google to Facebook to Intuit and then to smaller companies or companies like Hyatt and, you know, and and all it. So across industries, across companies and people at different stages in their career, people at different stages in their career, you know, so it really is relevant in all of those contexts. So Alex, I am curious. I was telling this to Riley yesterday. I wanted to ask you, what was the best piece of advice you've ever received? Like it could be way back when, it could be very current or relevant to right now, but I'm just curious what's like some of the best advice you've ever received that received that you could share with us and the listeners. Well, it's about being willing to take a chance for the unknown. When I was in my master's program at Virginia Tech and I was going to come out of the master's program and take a job and so forth. And a good friend of mine introduced me to his doctoral dissertation advisor, a man named Max Wartman, who was uh, who turned out to be one of my greatest mentors. Max when I was introduced to him, he put his arm around my, he said, come out to lunch with me, son. And I went out to lunch with this icon and he paid, he was focused on me. And literally that's when he said, why don't you consider a doctoral program? I said, me, a doctor, are you kidding me? And he, and he pulled out a napkin. I wish I would have saved this napkin to this day. Because what he did is he mapped out a four-year doctoral program on on a napkin. And he said, consider this. And sometimes the serendipity of a chance meeting like that can take you down paths that can truly change your life. That was one of the most profound lunches in my entire life. And, you know, it was about, do you want to take a chance to open up another door? It's probably so extraordinary about that is like how many lunches and how many dinners have you been at where that moment for you, you've been a part of people's other other people's moments as well. You know, Riley, you working with us here at the center have had a chance to experience some of that. Leonard Lavin's daughter, Ms. Carol Burnick, gave us a wonderful gift and she wanted us to create a seed fund for our students. But what she also wanted me to do with some of the money that she had given us was to set up dinners. And she said, find a nice restaurant, high class restaurant, and invite 10 to 12 students at a time and invite a highly accomplished entrepreneur to dinner. And 
let the students just meet and interact with an entrepreneur in that kind of an amazing environment. And Riley, you helped me organize some of these dinners and uh, you were there hearing some of the stories of, you know, some Zynep Ilgaz from Confirmed Biosciences and uh, Alina Hansen from Harahub and, you know, just entrepreneur after entrepreneur that had a chance to have a nice dinner with a small group of students. And you never know which student gets touched the most by a dinner like that, that can take that spark and turn it into whatever the student could wants to do with it. I would definitely have to say that one of the highlights of my entire college experience would be the opportunity to attend all of those dinners and being able to help coordinate them. Because these stories that we, I myself, but every student who has been able to attend these dinners have been beyond what I ever could probably read in a book and beyond anything I could see on a TV show. It's coming from people, real people who have done real things. And, and I can't tell you how much my perspective has shifted after every single one. And there's been eight of them. And it's an extraordinary experience to go through. You see, Riley, most of our students get to go to one, maybe two of them. You did go to eight of them because uh, when I asked who wants to take charge of helping me to coordinate these, you were first in line to say, I'll handle that. And stepping up to the plate like that has, has exposed you to some amazing people. And you really availed yourself of, you know, so much. And I think you're off on an amazing career. We give our, we run a lot of programs through the Lavin Entrepreneurship Center, and we give a lot of responsibility to our students, and they take on amazing tasks while they're with us. And each year, just when I get my existing crew to where I want them, the, the center is running like a top, they graduate on us. And then I have to bring in the next crew. And these guys who I've become so fond of and so dependent upon are just going to leave in a couple of weeks and start their careers. And that gives me so much joy. But then again, now I've got my new team and we're getting ready to do it again. And, you know, but that's just the cycle. And I've seen some amazing career trajectories and I'm just glad that on your path, Riley, uh, your path took you for a short period of time through the Lavin Entrepreneurship Center. I can confidently say that it has been an honor not only to be a part of the Lavin Entrepreneurship Program, but to be a part of the staff for the Lavin Entrepreneurship Center. And I attribute a lot of the things I've learned and know and believe in now to you, Alex, along with every other advisor who's been involved as well. So. There's one question I also really want to ask you is in close, you are a very busy man. I know this because I know your Google calendar, <laughs> but <laughs> what pushes you, motivates you and inspires you every single day to do what you do and to continue on and pursuing new projects, regardless of what, how much you have accomplished? You know what? I mean, if I can turn this around for one second, there is a picture right there. And that's Dr. Leonard Lavin. Um, when he, when, when I was interacting with him and we had a chance to articulate our vision, he believed in our vision and he gave us the resources through an endowment gift. And that changed my career. I didn't leave San Diego State, but because of that gift, and I've had a chance to serve in this role as executive director of the Lavin Center. What motivates me every day is I told him that his gift would affect many generations of entrepreneurs. And what keeps me going is I come in every day and I look at that picture and I realize what our mission is, and I've had and continue to have 
an extraordinary personal experience in my career. And it's people like Mr. Lavin and Max Wartman and so many others that have enabled me to do what I do. That's what keeps me motivated. And when I see what you're able to do and what our other students are able to do, and Mackenzie, you've had professors like that too. I know it. It's what keeps us going as professors to see your success, you know, leveraging off of this. And I take a lot of pride in that. Wow. Well, we I did not. Grateful for professors like you. <laughs> oh, we are. We are so grateful. And for those who do not appreciate their people who have, you know, who care about them and do the things that do things that you don't see every day for the sake of your own personal good. Thank those people every once in a while, yes. such as Alex. So. Well, thank you. This has truly been a pleasure. Mm -hmm. Well, I believe that comes to the conclusion of our episode. Thank you, Alex, so much for being a part of our podcast today. We're I'm so excited to get to read your book in the near future and good luck with the rest of that process. It sounds like a roller coaster, yeah. but it's going to end up with a really awesome destination. So I'm really stoked for you. Watch for the, I mean, uh, we're in prototype form, but uh, watch for the book in the October, November timeframe. Absolutely. Sounds great. And in closure, if you guys would like to connect with Alex DeNoble, Executive Director of the Lavin Entrepreneurship Center, please contact him on LinkedIn at Alex DeNoble or Alex, do you have a certain website that you would like people to contact you through or where they can find your Indiegogo campaign if they feel like they want to contribute to your cause? Well, that I would very much welcome that. You know, and so the Indiegogo campaign, just search the entrepreneur within on Indiegogo. It a campaign's going through early, uh, the end of April. If you participate, you become part of my author community and you're going to help me finish this book because I will be showing samples of the sample chapters of the book to my author community. And, um, you'll be giving me feedback. You're going to help me on coming up with a cover design and you're going to help me with some other aspects of the book. Join me on this publishing journey. It's fun. And it might even inspire you to do something on your own. But join me on The Entrepreneur Within on Indiegogo. And uh, I'd welcome you joining our community at any level. Thank you so much, Alex. And thank you, Baddies, for joining us today on this amazing episode. We hope that through this episode that you guys were able to identify exactly who your entrepreneur is within yourselves. All right. Bye, Baddies. Thanks, Alex.